There was a little alley in San Francisco, back of the Southern Pacific Station at 3rd and Townsend, in red brick of drowsy, lazy afternoons with everybody at work and offices. In the air, you feel the impending rush of their commuter frenzy. As soon, they'll be charging en masse from Market and Sansom buildings on foot and in buses and all well-dressed through working man Frisco of walk-up truck drivers. And even the poor grime be marked Third Street of lost bums, even Negroes so hopeless and long left East and meanings of responsibility and try that now all they do is stand there spitting in the broken glass, sometimes 50 in one afternoon against one wall at 3rd and Howard. Here's all these Milbray and San Carlos neat necktied producers and commuters of America and steel civilization rushing by with San Francisco Chronicles and green call bulletins, not even enough time to be disdainful. They've got to catch 130, 132, 134, 136, all the way up to 146 till the time of evening supper in homes of the railroad earth when high in the sky the magic stars ride above the following hot shot freight trains. It's all in California. It's all a sea. Hello people and welcome to the High Coop Accountable Power podcast. This is the first um, podcast. The introduction there, you will listen to Jack Kerouac and his poems with Sam Allen. Um, yeah, um, so let me just get started. <laughs> um, apologies for being a bit late. I've just been vaxxed today. Uh, so I'm feeling a bit sleepy, a bit drowsy, but I kind of wanted to stick to the August 30th deadline to make sure that I was uh, staying on top of it and keeping a habit up. But yeah, the vaccine has got me um, pretty fatigued and pretty uh, tired. So I'm sorry if my voice sounds a bit slurred or kind of slow. Um, it's because I've been vaccinated. But yeah, that's good. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. This is the first one. This is Accountable Power. Uh, it's unscripted. So apologies, apologies in advance for tripping over words or maybe stuttering or kind of maybe not sounding so good when I'm speaking. But I kind of want to give it a more natural feel anyway. Um, so yeah, this is going to be unscripted unlike my last couple of episodes, which were kind of scripted. So it was kind of more refined later on in like post-production. This is literally going to be recorded and then just sent right out there. I want to kind of make it organic and more of a rant rather than a kind of scripted um, production. Uh, the kind of intent for this podcast is really just um, a personal frustration I kind of have with the news. I feel like the news now is very partisan, which it has been for a long time, obviously. But I feel like every um, issue or everything, both on the left and right, gets taken in for a very narrow worldview, a very uh, small perspective of how it kind of benefits or disadvantages the other side or benefits their own side. So I kind of want to get beyond the left and right kind of spectrum of politics. I do feel that genuinely in my heart of hearts that the world really is organized against power and those in power and those not in power. And the, the kind of intent for this podcast uh, the initial kind of thing that I started it is really just to kind of remind, uh, go through news stories, review some news stories from the past month. Uh, in this case, this episode will be the past summer and really look from it from a point of the people in power against us, the people not in power. So when I define people in power, I mean uh, governments, I mean monarchies, I mean uh, corporations, I mean the surveillance capitalism industrial complex we have now, I mean military powers, I mean Everything, anything that benefits them and not us is kind of how I would define power. And anything that's people power is positive. And I want to kind of bring to light some stories like that as well. Um, I also think the attention span of the news cycle, the current news cycle is kind of a very, it's just a big assault on our attention spans. Yeah, the 24-hour news cycle, the constant breaking news, the hits, 
this news story, this news story, da da da, look over here, da da da, look over there. It's very, uh, it's very, it's it's an assault on our attention spans. I think news stories happen, big ones. I think deserve more discussion, deserve more conversation. And before that news story is even, um, even grown to a point where people are talking about it, there's another big news story. I don't know if that's saying of the times. I think we live in very crazy times. Obviously, this month we've had everything from Afghanistan. We've had things like the uh, Pegasus uh, wiretapping reports, the IPCC report. We've had um, things with royal families. We've had everything like this. Um, there's just so much news stories going on at the moment, which I think is, um, I mean, kind of normal, natural for our times, which isn't very good. But also, it, it, it's it's stopping the kind of wider conversations that could happen around these kind of. Uh, stories and how they affect us you know and what what kind of things that we should learn from it what we should take from it what sort of things we should think about when these new stories happen i think the conversation isn't really happening around them at the moment which is the benefit of podcasts and this kind of long-form medium that has sprung out of the internet i think that's a good thing um i think this is what the intent of the podcast really is is to um yeah just to fuck off the media cycle the the short short attention span the constant constant assault on our attention spans um yeah so like i said the the main thing going forward into this uh this podcast is basically us against the powerful how the power the powerful elites and when i say elites i don't mean it in a kind of crazy way i mean the elites the the financial elites the military elites the political elites um left or right democrats republican labor conservative uh socialist communists or capitalists or monarchists everyone in power i think should be held to accounts to a standard where we can rigorously look at what they're doing the actions they're committing and make a conversation a comment about it and how it affects us the uh the the plebeians whatever we're called the the common folk um yeah uh so yeah here's some topics basically i'm gonna go over some topics basically that um have come up in the news uh, you this one is kind of over the last month in august and a bit longer as well. There's some stories that happened over the summer as well. And I'm kind of going to break the new stories of what happened and and talk about it from a point of view, a sort of conversation about how that how this sort of power dynamic was at play and what and who was affected. Okay. So the first one we'll start off happened a while back. This is the um, Saudi and 9-11 report. This happened, I think, a couple of months ago, maybe the end of July, beginning of August. And as it's coming up to the 20-year anniversary, which is madness i think 20 year anniversary of 9 11 um it shaped most of my life in terms of foreign and domestic policy and the kind of result of 9 11 was the the huge explosion of surveillance for the nsa and surveillance capitalism as a whole for the social media dynamics and stuff and also foreign policy with interventionism which we've just seen with afghanistan the huge failure of afghanistan which i'll come on to later but yeah, so this uh, kind of report came out. The families of the 9-11 victims are asking Biden to reveal the extent the Saudis were complicit in 9-11, which I think is an important point to make here. There's a couple of things I think about this is, first up, the terrorists that committed the 9-11 uh, atrocity were Saudis. They were people from Saudi Arabia. Um, that is known. And they never really got a much prying into straight after 9-11. We invaded Iraq and then Afghanistan. And okay, the ta- the Taliban were working together with Al Qaeda, and uh, Afghanistan was a safe haven for 9/11. I don't think we should 
rushed into Afghanistan anyway, just to completely destabilize the region for obvious reasons we can see now. But one thing I think is very interesting for all of this is the power that oil and money play. And also to an extent, maybe nuclear arsenal, which in the case of Pakistan happened. Pakistan had obviously um, links to it. The, some senior members of the Pakistani government were funneling money into the 9-11 operation to the terrorists. Documented, well-known, that happened. Um, but yeah, Pakistan were always seen as our crucial ally in that region. Maybe for strategic reasons. Also, they they are they are, they are, they are nuclear armed, I believe. And um, so it could have been a strategic reason there that maybe they didn't think it was necessary to go after Pakistan because of a few bad apples. Maybe playing the devil's advocate here. I don't know. I personally disagree with that narrative. I think that everyone should have been held to account to whatever was happened. Uh, the fact that they were all Saudis and the fact that their branch of religion, the Wahhabism. Wahhabism? I can't really say that word. I'm sorry. Uh, but the branch of Islam that the terrorists and the jihadists all kind of supported was very much supported and upheld by Saudis elites in the country at the time. And I think what's important here to notice is that the Saudis have been a, an ally in that region. I have no idea why. Their human rights record is astonishingly bad. They murder journalists, well, which you saw recently with Jamal. Um, and their track record on women's rights, gay rights, any sort of uh, bastion of liberalism that we kind of have in the West, they, they've completely discarded. They do not care about it at all. Um, but I think what's important here is, is kind of the, the role that money and oil play. Money and oil rule the world. They are the things that the whole Iraq war, there's huge, and Afghanistan as well, there is huge incentives there for money and oil and power. And the fact that the Saudis own a lot of the, um, oil and the power and money in that region speaks volumes as to why they didn't ever get a real investigation. They kind of bypassed the whole kind of investigation or any rigorous kind of uh, looking into the matter further purely through their sta status as like a powerful regime that is ruled by money. And so basically what happened in the news was um, the families of the victims of 9-11 are telling President Biden that they do not want him to come to the sort of memorial events that will happen on the 20th, 20th anniversary until they release reports of the Saudis' um, the Saudis involvement in 9-11. It's obvious they were involved somehow. To what extent, to which members of government, to which members of people in power is unknown. But that's also the necessity of having a report um, for a country that is that values freedom so much, such as America. I think that we shouldn't be curtailed by, the freedom shouldn't be curtailed by um, oppressive regimes like Saudi Arabia, purely because of their kind of money and oil flex they have in that region. So yeah, I'm just bringing attention to that. I think it's kind of um, that they should be held to account. Um, and I think this shows a good power dynamic, not a good one, a terrible example actually, of a power dynamic between how much money and oil and resources trump integrity every time when we hold ourselves as nations up as free and we are kind of um morally superior you know we kind of always think we have this like very um diverse and uh very inclusive agenda which we rightly should have uh but then when we come to saudis and the kind of uh the role they have in the middle east and yet we treat them as our allies we treat them as like the best people in that region you get people that flock on holiday to that region uh, to take photos and stuff and it's just kind of it's kind of very hypocritical i think it's very stupid i think this this kind of country has a yeah abhorrent human rights regime 
they have slavery they have everything that that we're against in the west or we're supposedly against but they also have a lot of money and a lot of oil and a lot of power so therefore that seems they can bypass these kind of uh, investigations or reports or even be named and shamed in their uh involvement with 9-11 um it's obviously they were involved to what degree we don't know but yeah money oil power trump all yet again Next one is kind of a double whammy. Kind of want to talk about this. Uh, the next topic I would say would be uh, the royal family and Prince Andrew. Uh, from my accent, you can probably tell I'm a Brit. I'm from Britain originally. Um, I come from a Republican family. Uh, Republican in the British sense for my global listeners, I suppose. Uh, Republican in the British sense basically means that you you want to abolish the royal family. That you, you're anti-royalist uh, maybe in nature. Me personally, I don't really hate the royal family. The queen particularly, I don't really hate her. I don't have any strong feelings against that. I dislike the institution of the royal family very much. I think that they have caused more trouble and more um, disaster, I would say. Not a good sort of influence for us as a country and in the world and stuff anyway. I think we would be better off without them. I think it would be a, a step in the right direction to abolish a very old, outdated, very stupid, if you think about it. It makes no sense. Why would someone inherit power and influence which they all have um but yeah so just just before i speak this is coming from a very anti-royalist bias i'm come from a republican family and i'm anti-royalist i don't personally hate the queen i hate some of her children of course but the queen herself i don't really you know really wish death upon her or anything crazy like that but uh yeah so what i'm saying it comes from an anti-royalist bias before i go on a rant um but what i find astonishing in england is their approval rating of the royal family uh, I mean, there's different sources depending on sort of which magazines or which uh, polls you look at, but it's pretty consistently above 50%, regardless of any poll. Some say it's as high as 82% I saw, some are as low as 53%, but depending on which poll you look, it seems pretty consistent that the royal family have an approval rating of 50% at least, regardless. And I've never personally understood the uh, kind of the passion and the fervor that goes with supporting the royal family um, in England. There's a couple of arguments I always get countered to it when I've, as an Englishman, saying that I don't like the royal family isn't a popular opinion in England. And I've come against uh, pushback and arguments from uh, friends and colleagues and stuff before. Uh, I think the couple of arguments you mostly ever hear is, um, oh, they bring money in through tourism and sort of uh, all this kind of stuff. But I don't really think that argument holds much weight. First of all, I think when people go to England, they're coming to see the cultural artifacts, the museums, the castles and stuff, 100%. I would never be in favor of abolishing them. Uh, I don't think people are coming to see the royal family. I think that's not happening. Um, I've lived in England for 20, 26 years, and I've never seen the royal family once. None of them, ever. So I don't think people coming over from a plane are coming to see the royal family necessarily. I think... Um, also, the amount of uh, imports that we bring as a nation is in the billions of dollars, bi uh, billions of pounds, sorry, the billions of pounds that we bring in. I think the royal family in that regard bring very little to the table, financially speaking, when we're talking about the whole imports uh, um, that we bring in um, and things that we export to other countries as well, sorry, culturally speaking, through music and art or uh, even movie directors and actors and stuff like this, I think bring more, way more value and stuff, I would say, than the royal family. I think it's a very outdated regime, but this argument is the most popular one. The money they bring in tourism, which I don't think holds much weight because our total um, money that comes into the country is in billions and billions of pounds. The royal family and their whole tourism argument is tiny. Plus, I think they take the figure of all of tourism and say, oh, that's why the royal family, you know, they're coming for that. 
you can't take all of the money from tourism and say that's all because of the queen i think that's bullshit it's kind of a very copper argument uh another another myth which i think i'm going to combat a little bit more now is that um you know why be against the royal family why hate them or why be against them as the institution because you know they don't really have power anyway they're just kind of a ceremonial they're just kind of on their throne they don't really have much power or much um influence in governmental proceedings and stuff anyway now i would counter that that is not true 100 they definitely do have power and influence they have power 100 do they have the power to say we want this into law now and do they have the power to example they do technically have the power to stop a law although they actually haven't done that i believe since the 50s i could be wrong on that so maybe someone can correct me in the comments but i believe that uh they they, they haven't actually stopped a law being passed in parliament um in a long time basically but that is completely different from the uh the question of power and influence which i believe they definitely have uh, a lot more there's multiple case of this of particularly the queen or the royal institution they call it in the papers and stuff they probably don't want to name the queen specifically but the royal institution um of lobbying they have long they have a long history of lobbying uh some recent examples of surface this year there was two in particular one happened earlier this year and i believe february um so i know it's august now i should probably it's a few it's a quite a long time ago but they uh the queen lobbied to have her private wealth hidden she um yeah she lobbied a uh, government and parliament uh, to sort of some act or law that was going to reveal her private wealth her kind of net worth her equity in different shares and properties and stuff around the world and she lobbied to have that hidden and obviously she got away with it as well uh there was another case of her lobbying the scottish government to bypass the green energy law on all of her estates uh which again was proven to be true so these are two proven things she, she was first uh lobbying to have her private wealth hidden second one was to bypass the green energy law on all of her estates which i think asks a wider question here of climate change and who bears responsibility when most of us have to pay the green energy tax and have to and we do abide by the laws and the making sure that we are keeping a very clean and minimal global carbon footprint um why is it the powerful always get away with bypassing these laws why is it that they are allowed immunity from the same laws and same acts and stuff that we all abide by i think that's bullshit it is bullshit um but anyway she bypassed the scottish government to bypass the green energy law uh for all of her states she has a lot of her, her estates are fucking huge as well obviously she's a royal fucking she's the queen of england so her estates aren't like little houses and stuff they are big estates uh that she's basically saying i'm not paying this green energy tax i'm going to keep my shit running all the electricity all the fucking fires and whatever she's having this big stupid mansion of hers she's going to keep all that running and <clears throat> abide by no um law or anything like that for green energy or anything so for one she's just being destructive to this environment for no reason second she has no accountability to pay for that she doesn't have to pay for the law even though she her paying for the law and the green energy tax would be nothing for her what the fuck it's nothing she owns the fucking she's like the head of the country it's crazy but she had to bypass the green energy law so basically she has all these empty houses which she doesn't live in most of the time of the year all running on electricity and gas and coal or whatever she's running in the house which is completely immune to the green energy tax law in Scotland so again that's a person in power abusing her position in power um for the gain of the, i don't even know the gain of anything just so she can have her house warm for her corgis or something i have no idea 
but she's basically bypassing uh, another law and act that is meant to keep everyone in the same lane and get everyone green and more conscious of the environment together. She's bypassed that. So again, it brings up a wider question of climate change and who bears responsibility. Uh, then there's another one. Uh, this is Prince Charles. Um, recently, this is a very, this is a fucking stupid story, actually. But so Prince Charles, there was his charities, the Prince of Wales Foundation, I believe it's called. Um, there was a, there was a, there's basically a thing in the, the Prince of Wales Foundation, which, you know, when any one person has a power, any person in power has a charity, it's never really a charity. It's always a cash grab or some way to influence power and politics. This seems like another clear cut example. There was an example where if you paid a hundred thousand pounds, you could have uh, dinner with Prince Charles. And then obviously with this dinner, you could discuss your plans and you get an ear to the one of the most powerful people in the country who then could relay these sort of messages to government in their weekly or daily. How often they see the queen? I can't remember. I think the prime minister sees the queen maybe weekly or monthly. I can't remember. But either way, like you're paying for dinner with uh, the royal heir to the throne who will then assume, assumably, assumably, is that the right word? Assumably pass these messages on to uh people in government so you're basically pa paying for influence again anyway so this this came to surface that you could pay a hundred thousand pounds to have dinner with prince charles and prince charles has now focused his efforts on the access for cash scandal so he is investigating himself or his own charity to see if they did any wrongdoing i i, I don't know i'm kind of speechless with that one it's crazy go and look up the news story it's retarded it's stupid so yeah, just to clarify, there's three lobbying cases just, sorry, sorry for the noise there. Uh, there's three lobbying cases just this year, which involved the queen hiding her private wealth and tax, um, uh, her private wealth and equity and sort of her net worth, basically. The second one was her bypassing the green energy laws in Scotland, uh, the green energy taxes in Scotland, sorry. And the third one was to do with the Prince of Wales Foundation, the charity, which you can pay a hundred thousand pounds to have dinner with a hair, which obviously is kind of, uh, you know, it's it's obvious what the intent of that would be. It's so you can get influence. It's not just to meet the the prince and be like, oh, hi. It's obviously so that you can relay messages from him to the government in power at the moment. That's three cases just this year, okay? So this is a long history of uh, influence and power and politics that when people say that oh, they're just decorative, they're ceremonial, they don't have any power, that's bullshit. That's completely bullshit. They definitely do have power. They have a lot of influence in government still. And even the whole structure of government to the House of Lords and all that crazy shit is enforced by the royal family. So yeah, go and look at all these stories. Uh, these are all 100% true. And the last, the more on the royal family one more time here is obviously a huge one that's been happening is the Prince Andrew, the pedophile prince and the cover up to kind of keep him from being uh, extradited to the United States to answer a question by the FBI uh, with his relations with a young girl. Uh, who was below the age of consent when he met her and assumedly fucked her on uh, Jeffrey Epstein's island. Uh, his links to Epstein have been well documented the last year and he has faced zero accountability, zero scrutiny and zero... Uh, he's not going to face the law. He's completely immune to it. The Queen of just said basically... Uh, the Americans said, can you come over here and answer some questions for the FBI about your links to Jeffrey Epstein and the young girl who her name has slipped me. Apologies, I can't remember her name. Uh, she's not young anymore, but when she was at the time, she was 17, about your relations with a 17-year-old girl. And the royal family said, no. And because they are above the law, the queen and royal family are completely above the law. They don't have to answer to anybody. He, he will completely get away with this, 100%. It's another 
um, example of people in power evading accountability and responsibility <clears throat> for actions that he quite clearly did. It's very evident that he had some very dodgy shit going on with Jeffrey Epstein, which he will face zero um, accountability for, which again is another example of people in power getting away with everything again. Meanwhile, everyone is down here. We're in fighting about, oh, left and right, blah, 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 blah. And we completely forget that we're all on the same side. It's them against us all the time, 100%. Anyway, talking of sort of cash for access scandals, this also brings me on to another story of Boris Johnson, um, who he's at this point synonymous with scandal and being an, an absolute fuckwit. I'm obviously quite clearly not conservative, quite clearly never voted Boris Johnson. I do not like Boris Johnson. I think he's a liar. I think the charm that he has on the British people says more about the kind of... Um, class obsession in england i would say i think in england as a country we're very class obsessed we're very um charmed by people in uh upper classes i think not well not me obviously but i think generally as a whole in england we see kind of class and prestige and become very enamored with it and we're like oh my god this is so beautiful boris johnson is a clear example of that he somehow has charmed england i have no idea why he looks like a fat ham with Donald Trump hair. He looks like a bad clone of Donald Trump. Just looks wise, obviously that's very shallow and superficial to say, that's how he looks. How he acts is a complete lying sociopath. He's uh, insane, he he punishes people, he does very weird political maneuvers against his you know supposed allies, and he's a liar. He, he, he lies almost daily at this point. Um, he has nothing, he, he botched up the whole coronavirus response, Purely looking at money is the only objective to have saved. He did the whole like going outside and clapping for the nurses and then cut their pay or gave them a shitty raise this year. When I believe after last year, our like frontline workers deserve a raise across the board, undoubtedly, 100%. Anyway, sorry, I'm digressing about how much I hate Boris Johnson, but we'll talk about a specific scandal here. So basically, uh, buddies of Boris Johnson are now able to get his ear for cash. So basically, they um, he belonged to a, a a group. I think it was in Eton called the Bullingdon Boys Club. It might not be Eton; it might be at Oxford. I'm not too sure. I can't remember that. But either way, a prestigious little boys club, <clears throat> which one of their sort of uh, initiations, their process of that involved burning twenty pound notes in front of homeless people. David Cameron was also in this group as well. Apparently, he had to fuck a dead pig to get into the group. These kind of like very bizarre frat boy initiations. Obviously, naturally, Johnson was belong to one of these elite elitist little snobby little brat boy ones and bullying the boys club members have now been elected to senior positions in the conservative party the latest being a man called ewan ferguson um obviously for more details on that story i don't want to go into it because it's quite boring but basically the 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 play is here the the main point here is that if you knew Johnson, if you was in the Bullingdon Boys Club, if you were a fraternity member of this elitist group who were all overwhelmingly ultra-conservative, uh, very elitist, very like boys club, ha-ha, toffs kind of thing, um, you can pay money, lobby money to get Boris Johnson's ear. You can, just through your affiliation with these groups of people, these lords and ladies and these kind of elitist people in society, just your affiliation with them, just your relationship with those people, you can get access to Boris Johnson. You, a person, a citizen of England, such as myself, who has no opportunity to do that, I just don't have the social uh, standing to be able to have access to the opportunity. But if you are a person that has that social standing, that place in society, you are fully able to get the ear of Boris Johnson to say whatever you want to say, to uh, you know get him 
to do favors on your behalf, obviously through money and lobbying. And the kind of thing of this is there is no, um, there is no, uh, what's the word? Transparency with this. There's no transparency of who is lobbying Johnson, who is meeting up with him. It came to like this, uh, Ewan Ferguson character. He seemed like a dipshit anyway. He was in the Bullington Boys Club. He basically got appointed to this position through no experience or anything. He's a businessman from the outside. I think his dad was like a loaded fucking businessman somewhere. He was in the Bullington Boys Club. He's a peer of Johnson, as they say, which basically means mate of him. And he got elected to a senior role in the Conservative Party um for no political experience nothing like that simply because he knew him that's it it's a connection it's like me getting to power and saying oh my mate here you know my mate here he can join him because uh oh he's my mate that that's all that's why he's gonna be whatever this fucking senior position is anyway it's an obvious use of money buys all and who you know being more important than what you know Again, in English society, it's very ironic that a party that preaches upward social mobility and pulling yourself up the bootstraps um, are so fucking hypocritical with this shit because it doesn't exist like that. It is who you know, it's influence, it's where you stand in society. Class is so entrenched in British society that if you are upper class, you will always be upper class. If you are working class, you could maybe get to middle class. You got to work your fucking ass off to get there, basically. But if you're upper class, you will always be fucking upper class in that in this country. Uh, I think it's very ironic that hereditary power in England is still so entrenched with the royal family and also the um, who you know of the Bullingdon Boys Club and the influence you can get for Boris Johnson. So basically, if you're in a club or have enough money, you can now um, have dinner with Rishi Sunak as well, the UK chancellor, who also married very wealthy. His wife, I believe her dad is a billionaire. He married well. And then he's also a, sort of a side scandal here, but... In the same week, he's just announced cuts to universal credit, which is a welfare system in England. Uh, he's just announced that he is updating his mansion with a new swimming pool. Yeah, it's fucking disgusting, as usual. Uh, but anyway, the UK Chancellor or Johnson or Royal members, you can all meet any of them if you have enough money. It's all one big fucking circle jerk of one another. Excuse me. It's corruption, oligarchical, and yet England has the audacity to call itself a d- democracy, which I think is insane. We are about as democratic as... We are very much democratic in uh, sub-style only, without any substance. Um, we basically get a little chance every now and then to express ourselves with a vote, which I think everyone should vote, by the way. You should actually definitely always exercise your very small... Um, your small... No, small thing of democracy. My words have escaped me, shit. Uh, but yeah, I think England's very oligarchical, corrupt, and it's always who you know, not what you know. And these these values are very entrenched in society, that if you're an up-class um, aristocratic or royal or a lord or a lady or you're in any of these elitist boy clubs or went to Eton, you are in power in that country. That's it. That's all it is. If you went to these uh, Eton schools, the Bullington Boy Club, you're a royal member, a member of the royal family, a peerage, the lords or ladies or landowner or anything like this, You ha- or the other case, you're a billionaire and you have hundreds of thousands of pounds to blow on dinners. Uh, inverted commas there, by the way, dinners, um, then you have power here. If you're a normal person like me who works a normal job, does uh, normal things daily, he's, your, 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 your power of influence is so small, so minuscule, it affects nothing. There is no change, which is why England gets fucked up all the time. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. I think we should just burn it all down and lobbying and uh, at least the very minimal have full transparency with all donors and people paying for access 
for every person in power, for the opposition, for the people in government at the moment, for the House of Lords, for the royal family, everybody, everybody should have full transparency, have a list of donors and meetings and things like that. It'd be a lot of paperwork to, to, to sift through, but there has to be there. There has to be an account of it. And if it's not on the books, because there's so many secret meetings that happen all the time, we've almost become numb to it now. We're kind of like, oh, there's a secret meeting with uh, so-and-so. And, uh, you know, this happened, but everyone's just like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, what can we do? What can we do? That should not be the rule. It should, that should be the exception all the time. And we should see it as a scandal for what it actually is. But it happens so much that it's not even a scandal anymore. We're just normalized to it. It's just become a complete farcical fucking circle jerk of power, corrupting power, and then money corrupting power, and then power corrupting money, and just this whole fucking stupid thing uh, that people don't have any power in the country, really. We're a very powerless sort of uh, group of people, and they have all the power. It, it's not even concentrating around just the 1%. It's a 0.1%. It's uh, royals and businessmen and politicians and their families. And there needs to be full transparency. We need to have a list of all the donors. Um, yeah, for all people in power. Okay, so that's enough about British politics there. I kind of just covered the royal family and um, Boris Johnson and his uh, cronies. Uh, but I'm going to pivot now a little bit towards uh, the Pegasus wiretapping uh, scandal that happened Um I mean, the news of this broke in July, I believe, late July, early August. Um, but, you know, this this news cycle, like I said at the beginning, has been so constant and so uh, just a barrage and an assault on our kind of um, sensibilities and common sense, and our common sense attention span, sorry, that it's basically just, uh, th- this was a huge story when it broke out, but now it's kind of been forgotten because of Afghanistan. Quite rightly, Afghanistan was a huge fuck up as well, but... I kind of want to bring some light back to this, the Pegasus wiretapping, kind of remind all the all of you out there that are listening. The, the Pegasus wiretapping thing was basically a, uh, a, a group called the NSO group, NSO, uh, were behind the spyware tool, which basically, again, money can buy. You can basically pay for access to this uh, spyware tool, and in it, you can hack the email, the emails, the WhatsApp messages, the text messages, the phone call logs, uh, private data of someone's phone anything you can really want communication of all kinds on uh, people's phones and stuff which was um started by the nso group and basically a huge scandal came out that lots of journalists activists uh leading politicians and even some arab royal family members were targeted by this spyware and i mean this is a wider problem as a whole i think with the new age of surveillance capitalism we live in um surveillance capitalism is um everywhere in the world now it's kind of ominous with just uh social media and also the fact that nsa leaks in england we had gchq um and good publications like wikileaks kind of hold the feet to the fire of these people in power so this is yet another example of um surveillance and it's uh the 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 ever encroaching fucking power surveillance has in our society now so we started off ages ago with the NSA and Snowden, who is still in exile now. He's he's still living in Russia. He still cannot return to the USA to um, see his family, even though what he did morally was completely right. There's no question. I think actually has bipartisan support as well. I I may, I may I may be wrong on that, but I do think that bipartisan support is for that Snowden was in the right to do so. He didn't it was necessary that everyone in the world know they're being spied on at any moment in time. It's important that we all know that. Obviously, it's important. But it's very funny how it's bipartisan uh, support from the electorate, but the people in power are overwhelmingly against it for the obvious reasons. Because obviously for them, he exposed their little toy that they were using to spy on everyone 
which after 9-11 was like seen as a necessary thing that we should spy on all our civilians so we can stop a terrorist attack. Uh, it was bullshit, obviously. Uh, I don't think they've caught anyone through this um, this wave of surveillance at all. Snowden is still in exile. And yeah, but that, that's, the, that's the kind of thing, the, the first domino that fell. The sort of exposed this huge thing that went across uh, multinationals everywhere in every country that there was, there was surveillance up operations surveillance operations happening on its own citizens across the board in every country which is batshit crazy it's insane it should be one of the biggest news stories ever pegasus uh the pegasus wiretapping was another big example of this it basically shows that surveillance and access uh to your adversaries and your own citizens are up for sale again money begets the abuse of power money begets the abuse of power money buys power if you have enough money you can get this sorry again i keep knocking this uh stand uh money if you have enough money you can get the nsa group this uh app the pegasus app to spy on whoever you want to spy if you're a person in power in government you can get that to spy on activists or journalists or your opposition in your other government um or if you're a person uh, a very wealthy businessman you can spy on your competitors if you're a very wealthy raw member raw family member you could spy on law enforcement when they're doing investigations on you for the case of prince andrew maybe uh 50, people were leaked to have been spied on some of these people were mostly activists journalists and jamal kasagi's inner circle uh two journalists that i think were very interesting uh, that got leaked out of it i'm gonna fuck up the names here so apologies uh was pan e sasbo and andras sasbo sorry if i fucked those up uh it's hungarian um, I actually lived in Hungary at one point in the past. I can never, ever get the grips with the language. I think I was probably overthinking when I said that. Anyway, these two journalists have always been, um, they're, they're part of a uh, activist journalist group, it's kind of a clique, who are basically holding the, the current leader, Viktor Orban, to account. Viktor Orban, if you don't know, is a very uh, autocratic, uh, racist, xenophobic, uh, homophobe, every sort of bad adjective you can think of. He's a person that's completely ripped up the uh, Hungarian constitution, uh, has abused his power indefinitely. He's uh, more dictator than democratic, 100%. He was in power when I lived in Budapest. I lived in Budapest in 20... I can't remember, a long time ago. He's been in power for a long time. And this is this this one struck out for me because quite obviously these journalists have been spied on by Orban, by the people in power, by his own government. These journalists have been spied on from Viktor Orban. Uh, quite obviously, because it's um, it, it, this this one strikes me as the most kind of like what the fuck because it is literally showing how the government is actually spying on its citizens to use their stuff against them, which is when we sort of had the NSA, it was like ah oh, they're spying on everyone and all this thing, and it was all going to intelligence. We just thought it was intelligence. There was no personal vendetta. I mean, it was. I mean, it, it was illegal and stupid. But the NSA was so over. Uh, the NSA and GH, GCHQ in England as well was so big and so varied and so wide that I think people just saw it through the um, the view and the perspective of just intelligence gathering. That was it. But the one about this, the Pegasus reporting with these two journalists, uh, Sazbolt Pani and Andreas Sazbol, I hope I said that better, uh, from Victor Orban shows it is more of a personal vendetta. This isn't for the need of intelligence. These two are no threat to the state. They are journalists literally reporting on people in power. They are not doing anything wrong. They are not harming any citizens of their country. They're not in danger hungry in any way. They have no big um, power or influence on the global stage whatsoever. So this is literally just a uh, prime minister, um, the president, prime minister, I believe, of, of Hungary, 
and his um, his personal vendetta against two journalists and him spying on them for his own personal gain. It's stupid. Uh, what this shows again is even the powerful can also be spied upon. For example, the Arab royalty uh, have been shown to be spied on as well. So it's kind of a, a twisted little ironic twist of fate here that even the instruments of power they use against people can be turned against them, which I think, you know, is kind of a, a silver line, I suppose, maybe. I mean, it's not a silver line. I don't know what I want to call it. But it kind of shows the weakness of uh, all leaders are spying on each other all the time. We've created like a very uh, panopticon, 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 right? The word where everyone's spying on each other, that everyone has to act accordingly, rule just kind of uh, neutralizing, but they're not really held to account for reasons that are good. They're held to account because they're scared of losing power. And that's it. That's the only thing that motivates leaders in power now. Um, but people can be threatened with surveilled on simply for speaking out, as seen with the two Hungarian journalists. And I think the word or Orwellian gets thrown around a lot, but this is a quintessential Orwellian move. Literal mass surveillance on its own public, uh, on its own popular, sorry, by people in power for no reasons of security or anything like that at all. Just simply for just wanting to spawn them. That's it. It's, it's insane. Anyway, so the Pegasus Wires have been going looking to that gate as well. The next story I want to talk about is the IPCC report. IPCC report. Excuse me, I'm having a glass of water. The IPCC report. So these are released every seven years. The last one was in 2014. It was released. And the one that was just released now was way more dire than we originally thought. So what were the big findings from the IPCC report? Um, the, the, the biggest finding, the biggest key takeaway you can take away from it is that we're fucked we're fucked like this is it's way worse than we imagined some five uh findings from it was that the last decade was hotter than any period in 125,000 years so the last 10 years were hotter than any period in 125,000 years what the fuck it's crazy um so there's not even more like there's a more atmospheric co2 than its two million year peak uh, we've combined consuming fossil fuels and we've put methane and nitrous oxide to greenhouse gases uh, for the highest amount in 800,000 years. Wow. Okay. Uh, another big finding was that it's now scientists can now um, 100% link specific weather events to human-made climate change. It's irrefutable. The fact that people still deny or underplay climate change or don't understand it is beyond me. I think after COVID and the climate, uh, how people have been responding to the climate crisis has given me such a warped, very pessimistic view of humanity. I think sometimes you've got to kind of push on though. There's a lot of people fighting for it. So always try and remain optimistic. But one thing from this study is now scientists can now link uh, irrefutably 100% that specific weather events are linked to human-made climate change. Another finding was that scientists have now narrowed the estimated range for how temperatures respond to greenhouse gas emissions. So basically this is, um, I'm sorry, uh, the allowed, basically we can focus our temperature projections for the rest of the century. It's giving humanity a clearer picture of what mainline store if we don't act quickly. So basically we have more um, insight into, okay, if it gets this hot, this will happen. If it gets this hot, this will happen. Um, if it gets to, so basically now we think uh, the EO2's pre-industrial CO2 level is now thought to be between 2.5 to 4 degrees Celsius. Um so it's basically ruling out that only unrestricted emissions only have a mild effect on global temperatures, but actually they'll have a huge uh, effect on global temperatures. So we'll basically, basically what it means is that if, if we keep pushing the amount of CO2 emissions in, into the atmosphere, the effects will be way more dire than we thought, um, that they won't just be a milder thing. And that the fact that 
um, we can predict how far things are going. Uh, 1.5 degrees hotter is way worse than we originally thought. And But we can also paint the, the kind of thing that we can get from this intel is that we can have a clearer picture of what will be in store for us, which includes everything from huge forest fires, complete destruction of topsoil, and that also indicates that there will just be no farming. Some places on Earth are completely barren. You cannot even stand there. You'll just die. You can't. It's too hot to sweat is what they say. There's things like the permafrost will melt. And when the permafrost melts, there's diseases that have been hidden under there for a long time that we have no immunity to whatsoever. They've been buried there for hundreds of thousands of years. There was a case, I think, in Siberia of some uh, reindeer getting anthrax, a rare type of anthrax that if it got spread to humanity, we would have zero immunity against anyway. It'd be like the pandemic now, but way more deadly and way more vicious. Uh, what else is there? There's um, the, the oceans will just rise continuously. There'll be whole places underwater. Basically, the only, the only sort of portions of Earth that will be ha ha habitable will be like the top corners like England and Canada and Siberia and stuff. And But that will cause a huge migration of people from the global south to the north, which will destabilize society completely. We saw this in uh, Syria when the million uh, refugees came over from the Syrian conflict. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry guys, the vaccine's gone. Ugh, fucks me up a bit. But yeah, um, a huge migration from when the Syrians left the conflict and came into Europe. There was a huge destabilization of European politics then. We can see a similar thing now happening when um, uh, these uh, people from the global south migrate to the north for, you know, greener pastures, I suppose. So it'll be fucked. Um, another thing they found as well. Um, okay, there's, there's lots of reports. If you guys just type in IPCC, I don't want to just kind of list all the things they found. The basic things we found are the kind of point that I'm talking about this. Why is climate change got to do with people in power? For me, it's a quintessential argument about this is that we are living through a climate disaster. It is irrefutable now. It's happening right now. The earth is warming at unprecedented levels and we are getting closer and closer to a point where there is no return. We, we are fucked, basically. Um, and there's often things who is to blame. We've all been taking part in the uh, kind of global project of society. But I often feel this kind of a, a, a thing called like a climate change guilt, a pervasive climate change guilt that we all feel where we're like, oh, are you recycling enough? Are you making sure you're turning off your lights? Are you cutting down on TV? Are you walking to work? Are you cycling to work? Blah, 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 blah. Which are all good steps taken. We should all be conscious of the environment around us, just our local environment anyway. All of that is hugely beneficial. But when we're talking about the global climate uh, crisis, there's too often the, the we forget that the blame really lies on the people in power. Uh, especially, I think, above all else, would be multinational corporations. These are the people we should channel most of our blame towards, the multinational corporations that have wreaked havoc, havoc on our environment for decades. More than one corporation wreaks way more havoc uh, than any one person could possibly do, 100%. We don't need the people to hold account, the board of directors, the people that are funding these corporations, the ones that take lobbying from uh, non-renewable energy sources, all these kind of things are what we should do we recently just had that huge oil spill in the gulf was it the gulf of mexico maybe i'm confusing the other oil spill we had any it doesn't really matter anyway we've had numerous fucking oil spills over the decades all those oil spills undo every bit of stuff you've been doing to protect the environment if you're recycling every day you're vegan you're walking to work you're not flying anywhere you're taking trips on boat or whatever just cutting down your co2 emissions quite rightfully doing the right thing continuously 
Um, all of your efforts there are completely wasted by these big multinational corporations and oil companies and shell gas things and stuff like that. They get away with it point blank all the time with zero accountability. Instead, the guilt gets put on us plebs or whatever we want to call ourselves, the plebeians, whatever, the serfs. I don't know what kind of cool words to think of that. Um, and and it gets part of us, but as if we're meant to share the same responsibility, these fucking multinational corporations who have wreaked way more havoc than we have. Um, like I said, the oil companies spewing stuff in the sea. And also the fact that the co companies we work for, the work that we do, the modes of production and the drivers of pollution, we don't get a say in any of that because democracy isn't in the workplace. So how our companies or how our things have been manufactured and created and stuff, we have no say in like I said, we have a very small sliver of democracy from an English perspective I'm talking about here, but also in a American sense, you have no democracy in the workplace whatsoever. There's certain, th there's certain things we can do um, to combat the climate crisis, to take it point blank, but it all starts with getting the people in power accountable. Multinational corporations, number one, in my opinion, for the pure habitat that they've caused and stuff. Certain world leaders, for example, I think we should... Uh, we should, you know, point the finger a little more at world leaders. One example I can think right now is Bolsonaro, who has the Amazon rainforest in his jurisdiction. Bolsonaro is an evil sick son of a bitch. Um, but he he has the basic, uh, one of the Earth's, like, Amazon rainforest is often called the Earth's lungs. He, he has that in his jurisdiction. He controls all of that. And what is he doing? He's chopping it down to give to certain companies. Uh, to expand more corporations, more things, knocking down indigenous communities, all this kind of stuff for zero accountability. Other people we can point the finger at is kind of people that we'd think on the right side, but are complete fucking hypocrites. An example comes to mind would be Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau is the, you know, I'm very woke, I'm liberal. She session, she covery, yeah, bro. He's also the guy that did blackface eight fucking times. Who does blackface eight times? Jesus Christ. One time would it be like a forgivable mistake. Eight times you're like, dude, you have a problem, man. What the fuck? But he's the, I'm liberal, I'm woke, you know? she it should be called she kind whatever uh he's also the guy that's ramped up tar sand oil drilling in canada tar sand oil drilling is so fucking disastrous for the uh, environment it barely gives any economic gain i mean i suppose you get oil out of it but it's so disastrous to habitats of uh, local wildlife and the environment but all that gets pushed through because he's a liberal guy hey it's cool he's on our side he's not he's literally a fucking shill for money like everyone in power is um, so yeah, basically I think we should start pointing these things about, uh, people in power. They're the ones that control and dictate laws. They're the ones that decide who builds and who digs and who does stuff in our, uh, gardens, basically in our nature, in our habitats, in our countries and environments and stuff in our local environments and our national ones. Um, obviously I think a lot of you probably have seen Seaspiracy, the documentary on Netflix, hugely recommend watching it. Very interesting to see the kind of the two facts from that documentary, I think was very telling about sort of how power corrupts the climate change movement again, is the um, fact that charities who are like, uh, you know, dolphin friendly charities, plastic free ocean charities are all funded by fishing companies. Because there's a huge scandal in the documentary where basically um, there's the fishing, they're, they're saying, okay, let's clear the plastic from the oceans, but they forget to mention that fishing uh, fishing vessels and stuff are one of the biggest causes and polluters of plastic in the oceans. And they don't do it because they're being lobbied by 
dun 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 you guessed right the fucking fishing companies um this is just one example of many 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 of where power and the climate change movement there's an interplay there where the average citizen such as you or me are blamed or a tasked with sharing the burden of uh, climate change and the uh, sort of effects on global and on, on humanity basically without the multinational companies the world leaders the lobbyists and the fucking polluters of the oceans the oil companies etc 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 the arms dealers the wars etc there somehow we've convinced ourselves that we all share equal responsibility it's complete fucking bullshit they share 90 percent of that responsibility and yeah i think as consumers we need to consume more ethically and more consciously of what we're doing to make sure that we're consuming off the right companies. They get no funding from any of these lobbyists, any of these multinational corporations that are polluting the oceans. Where are they sourcing their stuff from? Where's that shampoo from? Where's this water from? Where is this chocolate bar made? Blah, 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 blah. Think of all this stuff when you're buying stuff. Uh, it's the only small thing we can do, except for revolution, of course, which I think would be a, a better idea. Anyway, this one, next story, is a bit of an irreverent one. Uh, this one is about Chris Chan. Yeah, I don't know. This one's, uh, I'm kind of just throwing this one in there. I'm not going to talk too much about it. Chris Chan, if you want to find out about Chris Chan, you want to go in the darkest rabbit hole of your life, uh, go and Google him now. Uh, Chris Chan, to, to summarize very briefly, has been a subject of internet trolling uh, since the very, very early internet days. He's um, He got famous making a character called Sonichu. Sonichu is a mixture of Sonic the Hedgehog and Pikachu. And he basically made this into a... I don't know, like a cartoon, a comic book or something. He got trolled relentlessly on 4chan and stuff like that. And he he became kind of a YouTube personality. He kind of made money after, I suppose he was monetizing stuff. He basically was around in the early internet. And recently this year, I think just a month gone now, he was found guilty of incest because he was fucking his mom. What the fuck? Um, there's a lot more details and stories there about his kind of history and stuff. I'm not really talking about Chris Chan here. The, that story's kind of fucked up and crazy. What I am talking about is the person that made him, inverted commas here, made him fuck his mom. He's autistic, by the way, so that's probably, that's probably an important detail to mention as well. He, um, uh, The girl that basically bullied him into doing it uh, is the daughter of a CIA agent, okay? So she's the one that basically said, oh, go and fuck your mom. And then she basically took the evidence of him fucking his mom and threatened to bully him and cyber bully him. But she'd been doing it for years. She'd made him kill. I think she used to kill animals with her feet and stuff. She's bought, she's completely ticks all the boxes of a sociopathic bully. She, she prided on him. He's, it's kind of a very nuanced story. There's very crazy many sides of it. I don't know how I feel about the whole story, but what I do think is kind of crazy is that the daughter of a CIA agent, his name is Mike Jenke, Janky Jenke, I think. I can't remember the girl's name, but his daughter was the one that was relentlessly bullying Christian. It kind of shows the uh, the power plays. I mean, CIA have done the power plays globally and stuff, but it kind of shows that their offspring they created here. This is kind of a slight dig, I suppose. Uh, but the offspring they've created here is um, capable of such sociopathic bullying that it must be kind of normalized in that household. I don't know. It's kind of a crazy story. The CIA link... I heard this on the True Anon podcast and also the, the subsequent subreddits as well. So if you want to go to dark rabbit hole, go look up Chris Chan CIA link on Reddit, Google, or wherever information. Whew, right, there's got a lot of news stories. So I'm going to cover up a couple more now. Uh, next one I want to talk about is the Wuhan lab leak. Um, yes, the Wuhan lab leak. Uh, I'm sure most of you know this theory. The theory basically goes that the, um, the coronavirus that we're all kind of suffering under now, the one I just got vaccinated against today, um, the lab leak 
the 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 Wuhan lab leak dictates that the the coronavirus originated from Wuhan's lab of virology. Uh, I personally also believe this. I know that China, I've lived in that region before, near China before. For a few years, I've lived under China's influence. I'm very aware of their um, pathological line, I would say. Their very, uh, their ultimate power corrupts mentality, um, 100%. They are embodied that 100%, ultimate power corrupts. Xi Jinping, they're, they're very... Their huge emphasis on perception management of how they look to the world. So if it did actually originate from a, a lab, they would be more concerned with covering that up than they would be to be held account and also for any kind of responsible research or investigating to go into it. They're more about how they look. Since the beginning of the pandemic, they have not cooperated with any um, any bodies of uh, any independent bodies that want to investigate the origins of the coronavirus. They have refused to give data, uh, uh, important data sets. There is um, evidence now that it could have uh, originated all the way back in September 2019. There was a military, kind of a military Olympics or something in Wuhan. And the people from Canada's team went there and they said the whole city was on lockdown in September 2019. Um, They were getting their temperatures taken at the airports and there was like a huge closure of mass shops and malls and everywhere around them and stuff. So, you know, that's fishy. I mean, that's just one story there. There's also uh, another story recently. There was a Harvard study. Okay, this is a bit fishy here, actually. I kind of noticed. So I, when I was writing this story um, to mention the Wuhan lab leak, I was going to refer to a video um, by, it's called Breaking Points with Crystal Ball and Saga. It, they're, they're two former employees who used to work at The Hill. They've now kind of made their own independent TV show called Breaking Points, which is kind of like a, a left-wing answer to Fox News, I think. You know, it's very sensationalist. It is very partisan, so, you know, I go with it with a pinch of salt. But they reported on this Wuhan lab leak theory, and they, they did make a good point. The point is now the Wuhan lab leak theory, the conspiracy of that has become so murred and tainted with the kind of like, if you support this theory, you are therefore pro-Trump, um, that it's kind of become a very hot, hot point talking thing that it's very hard to talk about it's very radioactive to discuss and stuff but without considering that china is the implication like china is what we're talking about here it's not about left and right in england or america it's about china and their kind of um pathological you know line and they're 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 kind of very the way they've been this whole coronavirus pandemic for example what i said earlier about the data sets refuse to cooperate with the who and other investigative bodies and stuff when they've investigated the origin of the virus and also they have they've um it was rumored to have started a lot, 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 a lot longer than they actually originally said. Also, the fact that when the pandemic started, they knew full well it was happening, and anyone that was whistleblowing, they were arresting. They were arresting doctors who were saying, "Listen, there's a new coronavirus. Everyone, watch out." Instead of saying, "Ah, oh, well, thank you for your insight," they arrested them straight away, silenced them. They were blocking down the internet, and when they found conclusively, 100% around mid-January. 2020 that there was a new coronavirus and it was coming and it was very contagious and it was very dangerous they opened up the borders and let everyone go and travel for chinese new year which is the biggest mass migration event of humans in the modern world um which is fucked up all that sort of stuff and how they handle the beginning is 100 percent true whether it originated in a lab there is no conclusive evidence i should say uh, i personally believe it is uh, just from, like I said, I lived in that region before and I know the kind of line and the extent and stuff of how they are. They are an absolute uh, autocratic, centralized power. A very bad regime, 100%. Xi Jinping is an evil man. He's a liar. They've done lots of shady shit. Concentration camps being one. 
and the way they just censor everything. Number two, and the way that they uh, there was also the story. This I'm sorry, I'm kind of uh, going on a tangent. But there was a story of a high speed train. They were just testing out a new high speed train, and it crashed. And instead of um, saying, "Oh fuck, we fucked up," memory to the family, they just erased it ever happened. They just buried the whole train. They pretended it never happened, like nothing had ever happened there. Anyway, uh, I'm getting back to the, the original conspiracy here. Sorry, uh, I saw this on the video Breaking Boys with Christian Saga. When I was about to just get this, um, when I was about to record this podcast, now I was like, "Oh, let me go and find that video again, so I can kind of recognize the studies they uh, so I can point you guys to the studies and stuff." The YouTube video has been completely wiped. It's been completely wiped. Why? I don't understand why. That's very weird for me to sort of hear because I don't know why the um, they would wipe it off YouTube. It's just they were just open up a discussion. They pointed to two uh, studies. One was con- uh, conducted by Harvard. Um, I can't find the the specific study because it was on that video. So, but it's definitely out there. The Harvard study about the Wuhan lab leak origins about the spike proteins. I think the the, the evidence was about the spike protein of how this is very kind of uh, manufactured and very good for human transmissibility and stuff and the other study they produced was by the american government the own government's basically support of it which you can find just type in uhan uhan lab leak american government study something like this and at that points to the gain gain to function is that what it's called the gain of function research that was conducted and paid for by fauci which is also very suspicious and stuff which is probably why fauci's underplayed it a little bit yeah this is the age of conspiracies oh my god there's epstein and then the uhan lab leak these all seem pretty legit to me it's crazy as fuck. But yeah, um, the gain-of-function research which basically is basically where they, they try and test the viruses and how they can make them more transmissible. They're the kind of uh, motivation to do this is so there's a kind of they can get ahead of the cure before it happens kind of thing. Obviously, it's playing with nature to a huge extent there. And Wuhan, the, there was also leaks that they actually had live bats there. They, they said they didn't have any live animals there. It turns out they actually did have bats there. That's conclusive proof. So yeah, there's a lot more evidence pointing to the direction of the Wuhan lab leak hypothesis being more true than false. There's a lot of things with the animals there. And the fact that the gain-of-function research was being conducted there on coronaviruses and that members of, the, uh, members of staff of the Wuhan lab of virology were also reported to be sick and come down with the mysterious flu-like symptoms. Hmm, what what that is. But yeah, uh, again, this kind of shows the power corruption in China above all else. Not just China, but the fact that because, um, I mean, we shouldn't always have to answer to China's things. We, we're allowed to say whatever we want on about China, which is our right. And then we should always have that right, 100%. But what I find is kind of fascinating here is how the lab leak, the Wuhan lab leak has become radioactive, has become a hot talking point, has become very like, you can't say that. So now left-wing groups are censoring other left-wingers who talk about it because it's a trump thing even though it's not really a fucking trump thing most of asia also believe the uhan lab leak theory is uh, most likely true as well um i think most of the public in america also think it's true and same with england as well it seems very likely given china's track record of being pathological genocidal liars that they would probably have fucked up this and instead of saying oh shit we fucked up they want to have the whole perception management locked in and locked down to say oh no Nothing happened here. Don't worry about that. Everything's fine. Blah, blah, blah. But what's interesting here, the interplay of power, I would say here, is on the partisan uh, the partisan kind of, you know, tension we have now where if, if something was said by Trump, then it can't be said by a left winger now and that we're censoring each other about this thing. 
Um, it seems very bizarre to me. It's very stupid. But yeah, go and look at the things. There's a Harvard study and an American governmental study as well. If you can find the original video of Breaking Points with Crystal and Saga, it's on there as well. They kind of broke it down, uh, the studies and stuff as well. But yeah, it all seems very crazy. Um, just a couple more now. I'm going to do one now, which is that this happened very recently, the Australian lockdown. See, I'm kind of mentioning this one now. Uh, before I start, I want to say that I'm not anti-lockdown. I'm not. I think the lockdowns have been effective. I've seen in countries like such as Taiwan, um, which were hugely effective, and uh, New Zealand as well at the beginning of the outbreak as well. The lockdowns were very effective in curbing and curtailing the virus before it had a chance to spread. I think when they're done correctly and short term, I think if you're doing a lockdown for more than a few months, probably not working. You need to think of other solutions then. Um, but yeah, I think mainly the one thing with lockdowns, I think uh, would be the, the most important, I think is when they step up the controls at the border. <clears throat> Apologies for coughing many times on this podcast. But I think when there's... um lockdowns at the beginning of uh the very when when people are coming into the country the port of entry that people are coming in that's the most important place to lock down if you're an island state like taiwan or england england fucked up hugely new zealand and taiwan did well uh they basically just locked in people coming in and did a strict quarantine measure for everybody coming in so therefore when it's in the country you can handle the domestic cases without worrying about the international arrivals and stuff that's when I think lockdown works well. And I think that's something we should uphold always and should definitely learn. But what I find interesting about the Australian one this time is, okay, Australia have done pretty well uh, considering everything with the, uh, the you know, their COVID situation hasn't gone spiraled out of control. This is an ongoing situation. So my opinion will probably change as well. Maybe the next podcast in two weeks time, I'll be like, nah, you know what? The Australian thing, I'll probably fucked up there. But I do think it's very weird how they're locked down now is so severe and so stringent and so strict. There was cases of people, um, uh, I think a lady, uh, her, her daughter, she had to drive to a different hospital in a different state, basically. I'm not too sure what the, the details of the story, but she had a daughter and her daughter died because they wouldn't let her leave the state. And I think hospitals were maybe full in her state. She couldn't go to the hospital in her state. So she had to do interstate travel. I think she lived close to the border towns and stuff. So she had to go interstate travel and her daughter died in the process. This to me is just insane. Like that's insane level stuff. And I think the people that are anti-lockdown, it gives them so much more fuel for their fire when they hear stories like this because it is a genuine uh, grievance. It's a genuine fuck up. It's a, it's a abhorrent thing to have happened to a family that they couldn't get help or medical care for their kids when they needed it uh, because of just the stringency of the lockdowns. That's why I think, okay, that's a dangerous uh, precedent of power to have where it's like, you know, you arrest people if they break this rule, if they do this thing wrong, even if um, it means a child dying. So I think obviously I have to mention that there because that is a huge abuse of power. Now, maybe the power, uh, like I said, I'm not anti-lockdown. I think they have a time and place, but there is such a huge um, implementation of power, a harsh, stringent thing there um, that I think it's clearly abused there. It's clearly against common sense. It's it's immoral. It's wrong. It shouldn't have happened that way. Those girls, the daughter, sorry, uh, should not have died. Um, it's 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 horrendous. It's a horrible thing. And I think that that is sort of the showing the the lack of common sense, the lack of um, foresight, and the lack of forward thinking that some governments have shown in the coronavirus lockdown. But yeah, like I said, I'm not against. Um, lockdowns and stuff but i do think that these kind of lockdowns are setting a dangerous precedent uh the vaccine passports and stuff like this is a whole different discussion to have as well i'm not too sure where i feel about them i think 
we do have vaccination cards anyway. Uh, but I don't, you know, I think, yeah, I think there's a, there's a dangerous thing at play there. Uh, that we should talk about. The conversation should be more open actually about it. I think it's too much of a hot topic. I think vaccine passports, personally, I think I'm actually not really bothered about them. I don't think they're that oppressive. I think, you know, I'm not, I think vaccines work and I think that people, everyone should get them. And I think having a vaccine passport, though, I don't really see the gain of it. Like who gives a fuck? That is kind of where I think about it. That's literally what I think about it. Yeah. I think lockdowns, like I said, work, but I do think COVID is setting a dangerous precedent where governments have extra emergency controls and decrees that they can implement onto the public. And there is a danger of this being abused in the future 100%. The fact that a young girl died through not through COVID, but through the lockdown, through the measure that's meant to prevent COVID there, um, definitely gives a lot of fuel to the fire to the anti-lockdown protesters, which I disagree with them completely. I think they're acting like big babies. Uh, but it also brings, it, it beggars a bigger question, which I do think is more, um, how far is too far? How strict should we go with lockdowns? What are the reasons for doing lockdowns for such a stringent way if people will die anyway these are moral questions that need to be asked and i think it's a lack of conversation um it's a lack of um debate and open and fair discussion and the lack of accountability for people in power that are causing these things to happen that the covid situation now has spiraled out of control so much that you, it's, it's almost impossible to have a sensible discussion about covid anymore with people on the left or right i think everyone's fucking dumb about it actually um because it's uh it's a disease that's happened and i think how every country's dealt with it has varied hugely some have had some successes some haven't and we should be talking more about these successes what works what doesn't what is too far for power what isn't what is the purpose of these things give answers to people's questions instead of just hiding everything under a pr campaign and just like oh you know everything's fine carry on blah 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 yeah anyway that's more just questions i think me openly questioning things about the australian lockdown and the young girl dying it really struck me as a very kind of um very odd story i don't know how i really feel about it like i said i'm not anti-lockdown but still yeah there's some bigger questions there for sure that we need discussions about this right guys thank you for fucking i've got one more thing i want to mention that's it and that's afghanistan which is a big one i'm actually not going to go into too much detail on this now uh not for the reason i think there's not a lot to talk about. There is a shitload to talk about with Afghanistan. Um, first up, I'll say what a fuck up. What a huge monumental fuck up. But I think as more and more shit is happening and stuff is constantly evolving, this is a developing story. Uh, that I'm recording this uh, August 30th and it's still an ongoing story. There's still lots of sort of things that are happening on the outskirts and around it and stuff. And a lot of things are going to change in the next two weeks for the next podcast. So I think Afghanistan is going to be the main point of discussion on my next podcast, which will release in about two weeks time. But yet, before I go, I just want to say, yep, Afghanistan was a huge fuck up. It was a 20 year war. It cost $2 trillion. Hundreds of thousands of lives were lost and the Taliban won. Um, yeah, insane. There's so much to talk about the Taliban though. It was a huge fuck up. There's huge amounts of interplay of power, politics, money, corruption there. So uh, I'm going to go into more detail on the next podcast just because I want to kind of see how it unfolds and stuff. Like I said, it's it's still a very new and developing story. It's very historical. It's a huge story. So I kind of want to make sure I cover all the uh, details and stuff. Um, but yeah, obviously the Taliban, uh, the Afghan war started from 9-11. Of course, I think fucked up after that. Pretty much ruined the Western world, I think. Um, the blame is on all world leaders, I think, from uh, in America, from George W. Bush, Obama, uh, Trump and Biden, they all fucked up. They all fucked up. I don't think it's a partisan issue at all. 
and I think it's bipartisan. Sorry, that it is. They all fucked up in England too. Everyone from Blair to Johnson all fucked up as well. They all fucked up. So I don't think this is a right or left issue, but this is a very issue of just like the problem with war for profit, which is what this was, and the kind of arms sales and the interventionism we have in the West. Um, and our kind of foreign policy and our kind of uh, motivations for foreign policy, I think, really need to come into question as of now. But yeah, I'm going to cover more of this, a lot more of this in the next episode, I think. Um, because yeah, as of now, there's, um, well, there's just been a bombing by ISIS. Um, there's a huge mass evacuation still going on. It's still very fresh, still very new. It's still unfolding. But I think it's one of the biggest cataclysmic fuck-ups of our generation on uh, both sides of the Atlantic, England, America and Canada and Europe and everywhere that we're involved in it. And I think it's a story that needs to develop. Uh, so I'm going to go into that next week's episode, I think, just so I can talk more about it then. Whew, that was a long episode. Um, thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, this was my first attempt at this. I've kind of, I noticed towards the end, I got more comfortable with talking. At the beginning, I was kind of stuttering more and kind of tripping over my words. So hopefully I improve at this. Um, like I said, it's just more of a rant. Uh, no scripts and stuff. So it's kind of me just going in. Um, I'm working on a documentary at the moment that I'm going to release on YouTube first. I've released it on YouTube, Vimeo and BitChute. It's called The Men Behind the Curtain. Ooh, very ominous name. Very scary. Um, I'll release more details about that in the next episode as well. Um, it's also about power, and of course. And yeah, it's going to be about, I don't know how long it is. I think I should finish the documentary, hopefully by the 15th of September is what I'm aiming for. But obviously, you know, life happens sometimes. Maybe I get sick. Um, maybe my work schedule. I still have a full-time job. So I'm doing all these on the evening. Sometimes my work schedule can get a bit full. But yeah, guys, this is uh, Accountable Power by me, Hi Coop. This is going to be a bi-weekly podcast. Uh, we're going to find it on uh, Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, and Google. That's where I'm going to release this podcast. So whichever one you're listening on, you can listen on those two too. So be on Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, and Google. Uh, you can also check out my Twitter for updates, which is at hi, H-A-I underscore Coop, K-O-U-P. So that's my Twitter handle there, at hi Coop, at hi underscore Coop, sorry. And yet to the small amount of listeners I have, thank you so much for your uh, listening and support. I really appreciate it. And yeah, until next time, I'll see you guys soon. Thank you.